one of the definitions for a classic is a book that you can read again and again and again and get more out of it. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So hi, friends. Hi, Andrew. Today, we have a guest with us in honor of National Library Month. It's National Library Month? Yes. We're recording this somewhere around February, which, as it turns out, is National Library Month. So if you were to go into a library, Andrew, what do you hope you would see? Computers. (laughs) Lots of computers. Well, that's probably what you would see. Yeah, What do you hope you would see? Comfortable chairs, not Mm. those hard wood things that you sit on when you try to use the computers. Right, right. I don't know. You usually see books, but then you never know what books are there until you look. (laughs) It's true. And with so many book choices now that we have, I mean, oftentimes I just buy things on Amazon and skip the library. I think a lot of people are doing that. Yes, I think a lot do, but the problem is still there. Too many choices, which is why we need a roadmap. We need a guide. We need a guru. We need a literary coach. Yes, and we should find one like that, provided his name is not Andrew. How about if his last name is <laughs> Andrews? That, well, would, that would be okay, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think it would be just fine, especially since you've known him longer than you've known me, I think. So we have with us Adam Andrews. Adam, it's good to have you here. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. I appreciate the invitation. So, Andrew, when did you first meet Mr. Andrews? Well, according to some rumors, he's my son. (laughs) (laughs) Which would have meant I started very early in life. But no, that was just a moment where I must have looked old and he must have looked unusually young for (laughs) someone to say that. Nevertheless, uh, when did we meet, Adam? Back in... Gosh, was it 99? Early 2000s, 2003, I think. We did the first version of the Teaching the Classics in 2003, wasn't that right? I think something like that. Yeah, I think we might have we okay, might have so. shot Teaching the Classics in the summer of 04, and we got together in the summer of 03 and talked things over, something like that. Yeah, your lovely wife and you came to my Teaching Writing Instruction Style Seminar in Spokane, Washington, And I think at the first lunch break, she came up to me and said, you really need to talk to my husband because he does for literature what you do for writing, and you guys would just be a perfect fit. And her being so attractive, persuasive, winsome, I had to say, okay, let's talk. That's exactly how it went down. Yeah. So we talked about uh, what you have to offer, your love of literature, your your systematic approach to helping people learn to think and talk about literature in a more organized way. And then I hauled out my little video cameras and or what, I guess you flew to California. That's what happened. You right. flew to California and we, we set it all up and you taught the seminar and 
I went back and I spent many long nights editing the video. And then we sold the thing for years. And it's been a great partnership in that way. It certainly has. It's been a blessing to us, obviously. And having uh, IEW's help from the very beginning in putting the tools that we created into the hands of homeschool moms and teachers has been a real gift. Now, your organization is the Center for Literary Education, and your website is centerforlit.com. Is that correct? That is correct. So what's your elevator speech? When someone says, oh, that's interesting, how do you inform them about what your mission is? What's your goal? What What are you all about in the nutshell? Well, the biggest issue, the 30,000-foot version of what we're all about is to get parents and teachers and students involved in a great conversation about ideas that is the reason literature is produced in the Western tradition. Authors are participating in a great conversation about ideas. Ideas like, what is a human being? Is there a God? What's the relationship between man and God? What is human society supposed to look like? What are the problems that go along with being a man in this world? Those kinds of questions have been the domain of artists and writers since the beginning of our civilization. And literature is the record of that conversation. Missy and I want to help people get involved in it by teaching them how to read literature well and understand it and engage those authors on the ideas that they want to talk about. And then secondly, to pass these skills on to their students. So the elevator speeches, Center for Lit exists to put tools in the hands of moms and dads and teachers so they can bring their kids along into that great conversation about ideas. We think it, it yields all sorts of benefits for students later in life as they go into whatever field they decide to pursue. The ability to handle ideas and communicate about them is a critical, critical skill that reading literature well can really help you to acquire. So that's what we're all about. You also have advanced degrees in history, I understand. Yeah, that's right. I'm a, a candidate for the PhD in history at the University of Washington in Seattle. Wonderful. Now, do you do you feel that the study of literature as you coach people toward that, do you feel that that has a cross-application, say, into your discipline of, of history or of science or philosophy or, or any other subject matter? Because I think sometimes people put literature in this category of, oh, that's the humanities. That's the impractical stuff you can't get a job with. Right. What's your experience in terms of the real application of these thinking skills? Mm. Well, that's a great question. And I, I guess the role that literature plays alongside history or science or mathematics or any other you know, academic field is that it is a, it's a, it's a record of the conclusions and the conversations that thinkers in all of those other fields have been uh, coming to. And in this, in a sense, literature is philosophy that's easier to swallow. It's science that's easier to swallow. It's math and, and history and theology and ethics and all those other disciplines packaged in such a way that you actually enjoy going from the beginning to the end of the book. It's all of those things combined with a little overlay of theater an overlay of drama. And so in a sense, literature is the best way to participate in all of, the, all of those other fields. But a real practical application, obviously, is a facility with communication, a facility with ideas, an experience with the human condition 
that you get from reading literature well stands you in good stead in any pursuit, whether it be academic or whether it be a job down at the local five and dime. Because in interacting with people, the experience you have in thinking about the issues that go into being human makes you a better neighbor, makes you a better conversationalist, makes you a better human being. So Adam, you use the word enjoy a lot when you were discussing engaging with literature. And I know that perhaps some might think literature, oh, that's so hard. That's what I did in high school when I read these really big, thick books and had to answer really hard questions. Right. Can you, is, is that what you're doing at the Center for Lit? In a sense, it is. In a sense, what we're doing is teaching parents how to ask difficult questions and teaching kids how to answer them. But really, the questions are so much simpler yes. than we remember from high school or than we imagine if we don't have a lot of firsthand experience. And I ask that somewhat knowing what your answer would be, but I just want to be sure that our listeners know that one of the first books that Adam teaches, uses to teach how he teaches literature is Bread and Jam for Francis. (laughs) And I just love how light that is and so accessible and easy that even (laughs) I can understand that. (laughs) Yeah, the the basic idea of our approach, our little curriculum teaching the classics, is that the Russell Hoban Badger books, Bread and Jam for Francis, A Bargain for Francis, all those books have the very same literary pieces that Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov has. And so if you recognize the similarities in structure and in style and in composition, then you can actually use Bread and Jam for Francis to learn literary analysis. And the great advantage that Bread and Jam for Francis has over the Brothers Karamazov, of course, is that it's short and accessible. And it has pictures. And it has pictures, exactly (laughs) right, by Lillian Hoban, a great artist. (laughs) And I recommend it highly. So we advise parents of kids of any age to begin with picture books, teaching the basic structural elements of fiction in order to prepare them later on in life to read Dostoevsky with pleasure. Do you think, Adam, that a lot of people have kind of a fear of this subject of literary analysis, not only because of their experience perhaps in high school, but also because there are some people, some curriculum, some approaches that kind of overanalyze and, you know, in a way maybe do what uh, Andrew Kern likes to say, you know, kill the puppy. Do you see, you, you must meet a lot of people who may have that type of anxiety. Is that, do you think that overanalyzing is a danger? That's a really good question. We do get it a lot. And I find that it comes most of the time from an anxiety about doing something that is unfamiliar that, that most of the people who are afraid of overanalyzing literature don't really know what analyzing literature is all about yet. It seems like a mystery. It seems like something that you're doing to the book rather than a technique for getting into the book and understanding it on its own terms. What we mean by analyzing literature is try and understand what this author wrote the book for. What's he trying to say? If I could go back to Dostoevsky, which is a great example for, I'm sure for a lot of, of our listeners of a book that is overwhelmingly complex and overwhelmingly philosophical. And really you should be an experienced philosopher and literary analyst before you even try it. And so nobody's probably going to. Dostoevsky's great work, Crime and Punishment is a murder mystery. (laughs) It is a gripping, thrilling murder mystery. And a few simple interpretive questions 
about that story can get even the most casual reader completely engrossed in this fabulous murder mystery. And so overanalyzing it is really not an appropriate term to use. Asking a few leading questions so that you understand, for instance, who the protagonist is, what his driving goal is in the story, and what are the obstacles that he faces. All that does is give us an idea what the author is trying, what the story that the author is trying to tell. And so that's what I think the real goal of literary analysis ought to be. And the end goal of that, of course, is we read Crime and Punishment with our heart in our throat because how's it going to turn out? Is he going to confess? Is the right guy going to come to justice? And it's just a gripping story once we know what's going on. I love that. I've never read Crime and Punishment, but now based on just what you shared, Adam, I'm inclined to go and check it out. (laughs) You won't be sorry. You have to read, Julie, another great fiction book before the next Patrick Lencioni. Okay, but Patrick Lencioni has great stories in his business books, too. I'm sure I could apply the principles of teaching the classics, too. You know, I would, Patrick Lencioni. I would want to emphasize, though, that I've, I've mentioned Dostoevsky. I would want to emphasize, again, A Bargain for Francis <laughs> and all of the stories in between. This kind of conversation, here's the glory of literature. This kind of conversation can be had with literally any story under heaven regardless of its reading level, regardless of its intended audience, and great conversations about what it means to be a man in this world can come from discussions of even simple, simple stories. So Adam, I love what you do in that it mirrors so much what we do because our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in teaching their students their students to write. And you do that same thing in teaching students to think about literature. And so you have a teacher training course, and I know you and your team have been very busy revising this course. So do you want to share a little bit about, well, basically what's new? What's new with teaching the classics that's coming out this month? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. First of all, I just want to say that the 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 gist of teaching the classics is a it's a methodology that I learned from Andrew those all those years ago mm-hmm. and what IEW has always done, which is rather than take a body of information and shove it down a student's throat, they want to instead put a tool in the hand of the teacher to allow the teacher to lead that student into knowledge or into expertise. And we want to do that with literature too. Rather than say, this is what crime and punishment means, we want to say, hey, teacher, mm-hmm. here are some questions you can ask. Here are some tools you can use to teach your kids how to read it for themselves. And that's what we've always been about. That's what teaching the classics always has always done. And it's a, it's a DVD seminar similar to teaching writing structure and style where I lead a class of parents in these techniques but we, as you say, we've we've come out with a new edition and have expanded the content. We refilmed it using high quality video and audio, not to denigrate the cameras that Andrew hauled out back in 2004, <laughs> but it has been a while and the, the uh, we have upgraded the, the look and feel dramatically. We've also redesigned, revised and expanded the syllabus notebook. And so both the DVDs and the syllabus have tons of new content. Uh, two and a half hours of additional content on DVD, which include things like line-by-line explanations of the questions on the Socratic list, extended discussions of our philosophy and uh, the teaching techniques. We've got a live FAQ section at the end where I take questions from alumni of the seminar and talk about how those things can be worked out in the classroom. We've got live readings of the classic stories, just as we did before, but we've incorporated first edition illustrations from the original artists. 
So the uh, the DVD nice. presentation is really is really uh, pretty slick. And then in the in the syllabus, we've expanded all the discussion notes. We've reorganized our exclusive Socratic list, which is kind of the main tool for waging a literary discussion. We've revised our bibliography of recommended books. So there's a big long book list in the back of of titles that Missy and I have used over the years to teach kids how to think about literature. And we've linked, of course, to some supplemental resources that we have that enable you to apply this method more easily in the classroom. So uh, we've redesigned the covers, redesigned all the all the graphic elements. It's just really sharp looking. So we're really excited to make it available. Yes. And we, we are excited to be involved in that and able to, to continue to provide it for our customers. But I know you actually have other products that we don't carry to help people down this path. Could you briefly tell us about some of those products and and how they might get a hold of those or samples, find out about them. Oh, sure. Thank you. The main thing Teaching the Classics does, as you probably have guessed, is it teaches parents how to ask the right questions about the books that their kids are reading. And parents have been coming to us since 2004 saying, great, thanks for teaching me how to ask the questions. Now, where are the answers? Because what I'm really after in this world (laughs) is an answer key to everything. And if you will make it, I will buy it. And so for a long time, we tried to cue closely to our philosophy, which is it's not about the answers. It's about the questions. That conversation is really the, you know, that's the goal. But we gave in soon over the course of those years and began publishing what we call teacher guides, which are essentially answers to the discussion questions for particular stories that moms and dads can buy and then have kind of a cheat sheet as they lead a discussion as to where the the discussion might most profitably go. And we've been producing these since the mid-2000s and collecting them into volumes called Ready Readers, which are aimed at particular grade levels, and they take five to ten classic titles and give a a complete list of discussion questions with answers. And that's kind of the main supplementary product that we offer at our website, centerforlit.com. Ready Readers is the name of that resource. We also have a K-12 scope and sequence manual for parents who ask the question, what should my third grader be reading and studying this year? Or what should, what should I read with my ninth grader? And we put together a, a resource called Reading Roadmaps, which takes a parent through a K through 12 kind of annotated book list of titles that Missy and I have used over the years that really work well for putting together a literary education. Each entry in the Reading Roadmaps list summarizes the major themes of the story, the major conflicts, the, the a quick summary of the plot, and some literary devices that a teacher might uh, point the students toward to get a good discussion going. And we've found that that's really helpful for parents that are trying to take the teaching the classics method and turn it into a more formal uh, curriculum. Yeah, and I think uh, resources like that are so helpful. I meet so many young moms who have the most sincere desire to find the best books for their children but they really don't know. They didn't read them growing up. They didn't encounter them in school, and they don't know. And they walk into a library, what should I look for? So I think that these resources, you've got one, we've got a similar thing. There's another one, what then shall we read? They're all good, and there's an increasing need, I think, for people to know, you know, what should we read given all the choices? Yeah, and I, I know I can see that that need is increasing. I hope that in the long run that need will be will be decreasing. If you and I do our work well, we will eventually be putting so many tools in the hands of parents, not just to give their kids the right books, but to teach their kids how to read on their own and learn how to read themselves. 
so that eventually advice about what's a good book and what isn't will be less and less necessary. Right, because their student will be able to pick up a book and after reading, you know, first couple pages or so, be able to discern for themselves, nope, this is not a good book, put it down, find a better one. Exactly right. Yeah. The other thing that I I think is a I, I think it may be a particularly American disease. Hmm. Maybe it's it's more universal. But so many of us have a tendency to say, oh, I read that. You know, even if it was 12 years ago. Yep, I read that. There's no more value. Right. And one of my definitions that I like, not my definition, but one of the definitions for a classic that I like is a book that you can read again and again and again and get more out of it each time. Would you kind of agree that that's your experience and people you encourage? If a book's worth reading, isn't it worth reading more than once? Oh, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. The analogy to painting is a really good one in this respect. How many times does it take you to uh, really finish looking at the Mona Lisa, Mm. for example? Well, that's not the point of the Mona Lisa. Not that you walk by it once and, and check it off your bucket list, the point of the Mona Lisa is that you feed your soul by standing in front of it. And how often do you would you like to feed your soul? Mm-hmm. Well, as often as you can. I've, I've heard, though, that the Mona Lisa is actually quite small. <laughs> I've heard that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but a great book is, is a similar, I think, a similar work of art. To go back to Charles Dickens' Little Dorrit, my favorite title of that great 19th century writer, and read it again is to feed your soul on the same themes of grace and mercy that you discovered the first time. Even if you don't come back out with some new revelation Mm. to go back to that wonderful theme and bask in it one more time, there's nothing bad about that at all. That's wonderful. Well, what's up for you this year and in the future? Tell us where you're going to be. You're going to be at some conventions. I know we'll be in a couple places together. And you've got some online classes available too, I understand. So tell us a little bit about your future plans and And then I think we'll have to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. We're going to be out on the convention circuit as we do um, in in the spring most years. We'll be in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Ohio, California, Texas. So we're going to be uh, having a a booth and giving lectures around the country this spring. So we're looking forward to, to seeing as many people interested in the literary way as possible. We've also got our online classes rolling for the, this will be our seventh year teaching literature and composition to, to homeschool kids. And registration opens on the 1st of March at centerforlit.com. And we have classes for fifth graders through high school in reading comprehension and literature. And then we do a composition class as well. So that's going to, uh, we're looking forward to getting a new year underway there. The, the other big opportunity at centerforlit.com that I'd love everybody to know about is our Pelican Society, which is a membership program for parents and teachers that like the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. And that uh, membership involves discounts on all of our products and exclusive resources, including a free teacher guide every six weeks, access to a growing library of original recordings of classic books that we're making here at the Center for Lit studios. So if you like the timbre of my voice and you'd like to hear me read (laughs) Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson, all you got to do is join. So... Good things going on this year. Adam, your logo is very interesting. It is a pelican, and this is the Pelican Society, and there's a there's a story behind the pelican. Can you share that with us? Because I'm not sure that everyone knows about this pelican. 
symbol. Oh yeah, the the pelican is a it's a symbol that we really like because it has kind of three factors that center around Center for Lit's mission. It's a symbol from medieval Christianity. It's a reference in Dante's Divine Comedy where Christ is referred to as our pelican, playing on the tradition of the pelican as a symbol of grace and mercy, where the pelican plucked the feathers from her breast until her breast bled and she fed her starving chicks with her heart's blood, a legend uh, popular in medieval heraldry. And we think that's a great picture of the uh, work that homeschoolers do for their children on a daily basis, kind of an image of the sacrifice that uh, moms and dads and teachers perform for their kids. And then that literary reference in Dante's Divine Comedy sort of links it to literature, of course, which is our bailiwick. And then finally, that image of the grace of God in Christ, who literally spilled his blood in consideration of the people that he loves, is something that animates us at Center for Lit every day. So we love the image of the pelican as kind of a symbol of our work. Wow, that's beautiful. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I was just thinking as we were wrapping this up, we were talking before we even hit record about what books we were each reading. And I don't know that I told you what book I'm actually listening to, reading through. And you tell me if you think this is a classic. I'm reading (laughs) for probably the 20th time, The Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) (laughs) not quite there with crime and punishment but maybe that'll be next (laughs) the chronicles of narnia raise a great question about the definition of a classic because of course they fail the first test which is that they're not a hundred years old yet right but they pass every other test in the world if you ask me a a books that deal with a universal human theme in a universally compelling way it qualifies a book as a classic in my estimation. Sometimes it takes a while to see which books are going to do that, but I would certainly put Lewis's books for children on that list. Yes, yes, indeed. And we're enjoying that very much. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. I do love listening to your voice, whether it's on video or through audio or getting to see you face to face. And and I think Andrew and I can both agree that you are a champion of doing good things, and it's wonderful to be able to partner with you in this. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys and to work with IEW, and I appreciate the invitation today. This has been fun. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you all. God bless, Adam. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. Thank you.